watching TV lately, I've been noticing how things are different, you know, prior to the coronavirus. People getting together at bars, you know, very close quarters, strangers coming together, hugging each other, kissing each other on the cheek, that sort of thing. Yeah, a little bit. You know, you're like, oh, you know, I'm not sure. Should you sit in a booth next to people? Maybe a table where you can get a little more room or... You know, I have thought a lot about still one of my favorite shows, The Last Man on Earth. Initially, like you have that phase where it's like, wow, this is kind of cool. He's running around, going in mansions, driving cars. There's no rules. You know, you kind of do whatever you want kind of a deal. And then that runs out. And then you're kind of like, that was fun. Let's get back to normal. Well, I tell you, one show is Ozarks because everybody just decided there's no such thing as coronavirus in the Ozarks this weekend. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. All right, welcome to episode 173 of Touchpoint. I'm Reed Smith, that is Chris Boyer, and this is Memorial Day. Hello, Reed. It is Memorial Day. We're recording actually on Monday of Memorial Day, so hopefully later we'll have a cookout in our foreseeable future. We'll definitely have a cookout. I mean, I'm going to eat something today at some juncture of the day. No, here we are. I'm staying true to the podcast and making sure we get an episode out this week, so recording on a holiday. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for telling a friend. We certainly appreciate this support. Uh, Chris and I, before we hit record, we're looking at the numbers uh, of downloads for the month and all that. And not only did we not see a dip during the last couple of months during the pandemic, uh, the numbers have only continued to go up. We we owe that and attribute that to uh, everybody being so kind and nice. And so thanks for uh, continuing to listen. We certainly appreciate it and makes it worthwhile to do the show. And I know the sponsors appreciate it. We would love you to tell a friend about the show or shows because if you didn't know, touchpoint.health is the website where you can learn a little bit more about this show and all the others on the Touchpoint Media Network. If you haven't checked that out, you can go check that out online as well as sign up for the TPS report, our weekly email aggregated by the show host. Quick read, all the industry news. So let's take a quick pause here and we'll be right back with today's show. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you.
today we're going to be talking about online reviews. And that's not a new topic to us. We've actually been talking about it for quite a while, haven't we, Reed? We have. And, and, you know, we've had obviously shows specifically about online reviews or online reputation, but we've probably talked about online reviews, community management, reputation a number of times. Um, And I would guess there's probably not a handful of shows that go by without it, without at least coming up in conversation. Well, that's because it still is relevant today. And even as we've kind of been moving through this pandemic, online reviews have kind of shifted. And there's been some recent studies that we're going to dive into that talk about how those online reviews are becoming ever more important. And you yourself have done some research in that. So we'll kind of end a little bit of our part of the show a little later with talking about that study. But let's first we jump into a recent thing that was published on a couple of websites. The one that most notably is Patient Engagement HIT, where they talked about CMS star ratings may be enhanced by patient consumer reviews. That's an interesting one because it's something that you would, or well, at least I have thought about and assumed might be the case. Theoretically, just in a broad, just at a bit, you know, take a step back. So just at kind of a big picture standpoint. You would assume that if people are happy, you're going to get more positive than negative reviews. Therefore, if you have a high review score online, that must mean like you're doing a good job. That's the whole uh, definition of what we're talking about. But how does that intersect with actual patient experience and outcome data? You know, again, you would assume that stuff matches up. Traditionally, we've been thinking about these as disintermediate in that CMS has a very focused survey that they do, administered by other organizations, post-care, whereas online reviews that are typically through like Google and Facebook and other things like that are third party. And so there's been a lot of work to try to link those two activities together. And we're finding out the more and more research that's being done, there is a definite link between that. Patients and family members would both give you a good review when you're doing that formalized survey through CMS as a, and as well as going online to say that. And it's good to have that kind of that tie now with that data. So why don't we jump into this, what the study actually showed, because it was a study that was published by the University of California, Irvine Researchers, recently published in JAMA. It talks a lot about uh, nursing homes in here specifically, but they start out the article with, you know, online provider reviews for nursing homes are only consistent with the CMS star rating system about half the time, according to this, uh, you know, this new assessment, if you will. That doesn't seem too good when you first say that, right? Only a half the time? Yeah, half the time. As they dove a little bit deeper into it, what they found is that, well, first of all, CMS has developed a nursing home star rating program. The intention behind them developing this star rating system was for patients and caregivers to make informed decisions about where to access care. But that star rating system itself was a little bit limited because it was only relying on clinical quality measures not patient reviews per se. When they initially launched, a lot of people saw that as being sort of a, 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 a limited view as to what the overall patient experience. The latest research, if you will, does you know shed some light on the differences between provider reviews and the star rating system. So Overall, the researchers, uh, what they observed is like an agreement between the patient reviews and the CMS startings about half the time, like we mentioned. Two of the quality measures included in the study 
showed moderate concordance, while the remainder studied the quality measures about that were the same of only about half the time. So patients should have access to both expert and consumer reviews for nursing homes is basically what they came out with, right? So it's like, look, this isn't an either or thing. They're not exactly the same. Like you need to be able to look at both consumer reviews and, you know, I guess in this case, expert is what they're calling it. Expert reviews uh, is, is the consensus. Yeah. And what's interesting about that too, is that the CMS star rating reviews are only accessible through the CMS website. I don't know about you, but I don't go to the CMS website a lot to when I'm a consumer searching for care. I usually turn to like Google or Facebook or where the other reviews are, where all those other things are. And so now the study is kind of saying we need to look at a way to combine all that data together. Well, the thing about that is, it's like you always start with Google, regardless of what you're doing, right? I mean, that's typically where everyone starts. And so like, for example, if I asked most of my friends uh, who have parents that maybe are ready or going to be ready for kind of the nursing or assisted, you know, living type scenario in the next maybe 10 or 15 years, or maybe even sooner, like, where would you go? Everybody's just going to go to Google or ask around or where did their friends put their parents, you know, from the same town or, or whatever, right? Like, I guarantee you not a single person's going to say, well, I'll probably head over to the CMS website first. Let alone navigate through the depth of the C- CMS website, which is not easy right. to navigate. Right, exactly. Right? The CMS website is always designed for healthcare workers to have, for us to be able to kind of parse that data and pull it. And then, you know, other third-party companies to kind of parse that data out as well. But it's important to say, right, that the study, while they're, while they're saying we need to advocate and get consumer experience surveys into this platform from these third-party websites, they're not saying that the CMS star ratings are invalid. In fact, the researchers asserted their findings validate their ranking system, but it really is about that nod to, we need to have the consumer voice in these overall reviews because it will benefit the overall CMS rankings, so to speak. Which kind of leads to another article that we found that's related from the same study, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so this is, uh, or the link that we'll share in the show notes is from uh, Becker's, the Becker's Hospital Review, and it's titled Positive Nursing Home Reviews Linked to Lower Rehospitalization Rates. So that's good, right? Yeah. <laughs> so no, but I mean, that's good. You, you would hope that those that have a better score uh, have you know a lower readmission rate. Just to set the stage a little bit, researchers analyzed a little over 8,500 Yelp reviews everybody's favorite topic, between 2014 and 2018 uh, for around 1,500, a little north of 1,500 skilled nursing facilities or SNF facilities uh, nationwide. Uh, They compared that information to readmission rates uh, of the same locations uh, and their quality rankings from CMS's uh, nursing home compare site. And no surprise, the nursing homes that received the highest ratings on Yelp and CMS had 2% lower readmission rates than the worst performing facilities. And that's back to your earlier assumption, Reed, right? That if you do a good job, people will review it. And that's probably because you're providing better quality care. They also indicated that nursing homes with the highest ratings often received Yelp comments about staff members' attitudes 
their communication and the quality of the facility and equipment. So overall, all of those elements, right? The, the relationship that they have with the staff, the communication, as well as the overall facility, the overall location uh, review, bear into those higher reviews on Yelp. Well, if you think about it, I mean, these are consumer reviews, right? You're probably, well, you are. You, you're, you're much more likely to get a review written about someone's attitude, positive or negative. How well you're communicated with, positive or negative. You're never going to see, you're never going to go read a Yelp review where someone's like, I'm really pleased with the outcome. I mean, this goes back to the thing that we've always talked about, like some of the some of the most thoughtful, impactful handwritten notes to the hospital when I worked there were people who had lost a loved one. Well, that's not the outcome you want, right? Right. But but the experience. This nurse did this for my mother. When they brought the food in, they listened and remembered the next day they made sure to, to bring red instead of green, yeah, jello. I, just all these things that I can remember people writing and the outcome was not good. That's, I think, what's interesting about outcome data versus online reviews. It, it tells you about the experience in a holistic fashion. I remember Reed, we did a we did an episode about this over a year ago where we were talking about how those types of reviews, those those experience related reviews actually provide a better insight into the overall experience and couple the experience of softer elements of the the overall experience along with the outcome experience that provides a better insight into the overall performance of that of that facility in this case nursing homes what's also interesting though about the study read is that it said that only 10% of nursing facilities nationwide had online reviews available for analysis so it isn't like happening at a mass scale we're, we're only talking about a small amount of data and, and who knows, maybe the recommendation moving forward and we're going to see a development of more and more people going online through Yelp, through Facebook, through Google or wherever to start to review some of the softer elements of their overall experience. Of course, they did just look at Yelp, right? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so <laughs> as, as we've talked about before, Yelp is really important or it's not. What I mean by that is it depends on where you live, where you are. Uh, again, Austin, Texas, the state of Florida, hugely important. Mississippi, not so much. Arkansas, nope. But Tennessee, no. Alabama, no, you know, et cetera. So again, I think some, some of it's a, it's a little interesting in the sense that I don't know that Yelp was a great one to consider, but anyway, that's a whole other deal. Uh, nobody asked me. The, the 10% having the, the scores available, I think, is, a, is an indication that continues to validate the point of understanding your market and where you are, but in any case. Well, speaking of understanding our market and where we're at, after the break, let's come back and talk a little bit about how the current nationwide pandemic that we're under, how that has impacted online reviews. And some of that is a study that you yourself have done, Reed, with Gerard. And we're going to dive into that right after this little break. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. 
In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Madsen of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. All right. So when all this started, I don't know when all this started, actually, but back in March, <laughs> we started noticing something interesting. And, and that was the fact that the consumer could leave a review for a hospital, for example, or really any business, I guess. But the business was never notified and the review did not show up publicly. So it was like, wait a minute, what's going on? Google puts out a post and says that they've turned off the quote unquote review functionality as well as Q&A functionality where you can ask questions and things like that. And then on the flip side, to be fair, they did add a fair amount of like you can make the, a COVID-19 specific update to your Google My Business profile. And, you know, some of you know, you could change hours and you, know, you could do some things COVID-19 related and it said that. But one of the things that they did, obviously, was turn off reviews in, in Q&A. It's interesting that Google did that move. Sites like Yelp and TripAdvisor never stopped their review cycle. Uh, and I don't think Facebook did either. Facebook and Yelp did not. Yelp claimed there was going to be some additional scrutiny on reviews that, that mentioned COVID-19 or coronavirus because they wanted to be real sure if somebody went on there and said, like, I got coronavirus at this place. You know, they, they want to be real careful about those types of things, but they didn't really ever turn it off. But that was back in like March timeframe and time has moved on and we've kind of evolved here and we're starting to open up more locations, including hospitals and health systems. So obviously Google is slowly rolling those capabilities back, right, Reed? They are. Yeah, they are. And we, we uh, you know, can certainly um, link to this. You can Google around and find it. But it's, you know, they're continuing to update, Google is, uh, under Google My Business Help, so support.google.com, a post. And it's, you know, limited, it's titled Limited Google My Business Functionality Due, due to COVID-19. And so they've updated this over time. And what they're saying now and kind of the latest, the latest piece of this is they're still prioritizing critical edits. So if it's COVID-19 related updates, if you will, they're prioritizing those types of uh, Google My Business profile edits. Newly created listings, claims, verifications, et cetera, they're still uh, saying to expect delays. But specifically to what we're talking about, reviews, Q&A, et cetera, this is in their words, review replies are now available. So you can now reply because before you couldn't reply, doesn't matter when the review was written, could have been written in December, you still couldn't reply to it, you can reply to anything. So review replies are now available. New user reviews, new user photos, new short names and Q&A will gradually return by country and business category. And that they're also gradually publishing delayed user reviews and photos submitted. So again, one of the questions early on was what happens? Are they, are they just going to turn the fire hose on and also you're going to get hit in the face with like 1,100 reviews that happened during this time that you didn't know about? 
And it says, uh, hopefully that's not the case, because if I'm interpreting this correctly, it says they're gradually publishing delayed user reviews. So take that for what that that is. I'd love to hear from people that maybe you're starting to see some of that come back. And I think it's in part, too, because Google is slowly reintroducing capabilities because they also had to distribute their workforce. And we've talked about that, the impact that has had. Now, let's jump over to another platform, Reed, to Facebook really quickly. Unfortunately, on Facebook, the reviews are falling down a similar path as much of other things that are going on with Facebook in that it's becoming mired now in a rise of fake reviews, unfortunately. Now, we're seeing that this is starting in the UK. So to be fair, we're not seeing uh, that official study being happening here in the US, but we want to keep track of this. A third-party company is coming in to do an audit over Facebook reviews. And unfortunately, what they're seeing is there's been a a great rise in fake reviews that are being done. TripAdvisor is claiming that no other uh, review platform is doing more to fight fake reviews eBay is struggling with this. So you think about these are all consumer packaged goods, right? That are going on. What really is the focus in the UK through this third party group is a heavy focus on Facebook and seeing what's happening on the Facebook platform. Because of the rise in misinformation through news and et cetera things, they feel that there is a flow over to the online reviews. So I think that's something that we're going to have to keep an eye on over the next coming months and so to see if that is also extending into hospital reviews through the Facebook platforms. You know, Facebook is a curious one for me. Uh, Obviously through work, we do a fair amount of reputation management type work and things like that. And and one of the things that I noticed was, at least it seemed, I, I was perceiving, I guess, that the pages that we manage across multiple organizations were receiving less Facebook reviews than normal. And, you know, quite honestly, as I, as I kind of think saying this out loud, probably check-ins as well had gone down or have gone down maybe. Uh, again, I'd love to hear from some folks that maybe, maybe manage their organization's social. But anyway, it just certainly seemed like it, right, that we were seeing less reviews than, than normal. Now, obviously, we were getting a lot of engagement, probably more engagement than normal on Facebook. Because early on, obviously, we were handling uh, crisis type stuff. And most of the stuff that was being posted was revised visitor policies, for example. So lots of comments coming in. What does this mean? I I mean, I'm delivering a baby in three weeks. Can my husband be there with me? What about in the OR? I'm doing a C-section. What about in postpartum? Is it just your LND? You know, you get all these like uh, questions, right? Can he come and go and get food? You know, just all the stuff you don't think like, Oh, yeah, I guess we need to kind of spell that out. You know, there's there a lot of that type of engagement, but it just seemed as if not as many Facebook reviews. So I decided, and again, to put this in context, this was 1st of May, if you will, uh, thereabout. I decided to look at, okay, let me take all the clients that we're doing COVID-related work for. And at the time, it was probably 50 to 60 organizations across the country of varying sizes. So some of them AMCs, regional systems, local community hospitals, et cetera. And so I decided to look at, you know, how much volume, if you will, that they were getting on Facebook. So took those 50, 60 organizations, and in total, those organizations uh, accounted for 8,673 reviews over their lifespan of which only 98 or 1.13% were written during the months of March and April. Huh. 
So not, not a lot. And it'd probably be worth going back and seeing how that trends. But in any case, my what I was really looking at was, well, what about employee reviews versus uh, consumer reviews? And so not so much how consumer reviews Ooh. trended over time, because I saw this go down. So I was wondering, okay, well, during the same time, what are the empo- what's the employee side look like? Because we don't most organizations are not spending a ton of time on Glassdoor and Indeed and you know those types of platforms. At least it doesn't seem. 8,673 reviews, 98, uh, which accounts for 1.13% of their lifetime reviews were written during the months of March and April. Flip over to Indeed, which is a little easier to get at than Glassdoor without setting up accounts and all that stuff. Same organizations accounted for 11,838. So overall, a few more reviews than Facebook just in totality, right? But that accounted for 267, or exactly twice, 2.26% were written during March, April. So it's interesting to me that over the period of time of March and April, the group that is working crazy hours with this weird uncertainty and all these things are going on and we're talking about burnout and all this stuff, right? They have written twice as many reviews as the general public. That is interesting, Reed. So the employees themselves are finding that time to review their own health systems. And so obviously you went a little bit deeper to find out exactly what they were reviewing. Yeah. So like, are the reviews good or bad? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) So again, not Facebook, but looking indeed specifically, the the lifetime average of those almost 12,000 reviews is 11,838 reviews on Indeed across those, I can't remember, 50, 60 organizations. The lifetime weighted average, right? So I didn't just, you know, add up all the averages. And so the ones that had a ton of reviews, you know, obviously counted more. 3.81 out of five was the, was the score across those 11,000 reviews. Almost 12,000 reviews, your likelihood if someone wrote one was going to be, it was going to land 3.81. Healing out just the 267 that were written during March and April, if the employee wrote a review during March and April, it was going to be 3.59. So again, a pretty decent drop in score over that two-month span. Here's what's funny though. I I went through and I thought, okay, well, we're going to see a ton of mentions of COVID. And maybe they don't say COVID, but it's going to be PPE related, hazard pay, et cetera. There was only four mentions on those 267 reviews of something specific to COVID. Again, PPE, hazard pay, those types of things. So why is everybody so negative during this time? You know what I mean? I think it's a byproduct of what what we mentioned earlier, the stress, the burnout, potentially the lack of communications, you know, et cetera. So again, it's what we've talked about historically with reviews is people may not say specifically that the wait time, you know, they came to the ER and there was a long wait. They talk about how rude people were, how short people were, that I only saw the doctor for 30 seconds, you know, et cetera, all kind of byproducts, if you will, of a long wait time, you know, or or whatever it is. And I think this is a similar scenario on the employee side of the equation. That's really interesting, Reed, in that when we talk about online reviews, oftentimes we focus in on what consumers are saying. And I think that's an important part of this. But what your study 
just recently showed is that the importance is also on other audiences of ours, which in this particular case happen to be employees. And it's no wonder that as you know, times have changed and as our overall mental processes have changed and the way we're reacting to the stresses, this clearly illustrates that we're all being impacted by this. And once again, online reviews are an important indicator for organizations, health systems we need to keep track of. We need to see what people are saying. Well, and it just circles back to the very first thing that we talked about today. Right. When you, if you go back and you think about that nursing home CMS article, you know, what did they say? They were talking about the fact that when consumers were writing these reviews, what was it about? It was about how well they were treated, how they were communicated with, you know, those types of things. And I think that's what's interesting is that that quality of the facility and the equipment, the communication, the the staff members' attitudes, all the things they talked about in those Yelp reviews, it attributes directly, ultimately, to that readmission rate. Well, here we are. Our, Our employees are not as happy as they were, apparently. It's a path that, you know, it's going to stream back, ultimately, to how well people are being taken care of, how satisfied they are, how willing you know they are to follow direction and, and maybe impact readmission rates and some of those types of things. Related to that, recently I had a chance to sit down with Noel Coleman over at doctor.com. And they're an organization that spends a lot of time, obviously, looking at online reviews. And we had a conversation about some of the trends that he's seeing with his clients that he's working with. Uh, on the consumer level, and the importance of using online reviews as a way to kind of keep track of uh, consumer behavior through the pandemic and what organizations can do to kind of react to that. Why don't we run that interview with Noel right after this break? Welcome back to the Ask the Expert section of the podcast. And today I am talking with a good friend of mine, someone I've known for a number of years, um, Noel Coleman. Noel, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, Chris. Really great to be here and excited about the topic today. I am too. And uh, it's a particularly important topic. It always has been. But even now, as we're kind of dealing with the response to COVID-19, it's becoming even more an important topic, I think. And we'll talk about that today. But before we get into the actual topic itself... I'd love for you to share with our audience a little bit about yourself, your background, your experience. I've been in healthcare technology for over 20 years. Uh, I've worked you know, across every conceivable aspect of a company in sales, marketing, product development, uh, business strategy, helping grow, connect healthcare over the years. As many organizations listening to this probably worked with them on, on find a doctor solutions, transparency, et cetera. And then also uh, into the acquisition by doctor.com in late 20, 2017. Uh, and since then have been running uh, the enterprise team as the president over there, uh, kind of helping them grow that business. And tell people a little bit about what Dr.com does to give them kind of some setting for our conversation today. 
Doctor.com works with hospitals and health systems, really providing them with a platform to be able to manage the overall digital acquisition strategy for provider reputation, for facility reputation, and all of the processes from a consumer looking for care all the way through the point of booking and get receiving feedback, and then even using that feedback to improve their, uh, their operations and performance. We've been talking about online reputation and reviews and how people are, are kind of managing reviews for quite a while. And one of the things that, you know, always comes up whenever we talk about this is about how do you appropriately respond to those reviews online? Right now is a really important time to be thinking about this. And, you know, it can, it's funny because it can feel a little bit odd to be thinking about online reputation in a moment like this, because the human reaction is, of course, you know, we're being chased by a tiger, we get into fight or flight mode, and we really just focus on the one thing, right? And everything else sort of goes off to the background. We go, why would we talk about, you know, online reputation? when COVID-19 is happening in the country right now. The piece of this where we really have to think about what's going to come next, because eventually we are going to go back to some kind of whatever that new normal looks like. Chris, you and I can definitely agree on this. I know probably most people who are listening to this can agree to it. The one thing that we can say is that digital is only going to get more important. As we think about online reputation, we think about replying to reviews, we think about um, responding to what's happening online, responding to reviews can almost feel like it's a little bit reactive. So it can be a little bit misleading, Because, but the reality of it is a strong strategy um, for replying to reviews online actually has a significant amount of proactivity involved in it, if that makes sense. A lot of times what we end up doing is, is we look at it and we go, okay, let's start off. Let's have a program where we can listen to what's happening. We can start responding to people. And we sort of make it as simple as somebody says they had a great experience and we say, thank you. Somebody says they have a bad experience and we say, oh, I'm so sorry. Here's a phone number. The reality of it is, is that it's a lot more complex than that. Uh, there's, you know, thinking through various scenarios um, thinking about, you know, this can vary based on specialty, can vary based on what that person is talking about, right? Did they have a good experience with a doctor, but a bad one with a nurse or vice versa? Um, did they have a tough experience with billing? Was it access to care? Um, all of those different ways of sort of thinking about things really have different kinds of responses. It's almost like crisis planning, which most of us now are looking back going, gosh, I wish we'd have done more crisis planning. But it's the same sort of ideas. Like, what do we what do we do to make sure that we've planned appropriately so that when these kinds of circumstances happen and they happen online, they're very fluid, they're very fast, they're very much real time. How do we make sure that we have a plan in place so that we can effectively manage that entire process without looking, just scrambling internally and constantly constantly being in firefighting mode. When I worked at the last health system I was at, that was one thing that was interesting when we when I inherited sort of the re the review response system, it seemed more tactical, right? It was more of that I'm just going to deal with this as it comes up and I thought, well you need to be a little bit more strategic when you respond to that. How do you start thinking strategically of review management, review responses 
Like most things, it all comes to it depends on what you're trying to accomplish and what resources you have available. It depends on the organization. So some organizations may have one person uh, who's sort of handling this, and so they have to make some very strategic decisions within the bounds of those constraints. Uh, and then you have other teams who go, now nah, we have a dedicated team of people who do nothing but this, right? And so the answer to that question sort of depends on resources. It also depends on what you're trying to focus on. So a lot of times we end up getting into service line strategy and thinking, okay, if we're trying to deal with, we want to protect a moat, if you will. I got one client who has been in an area where there's been a certificate of need requirement for a long time. They've been the only game in town and all of a sudden that's been deregulated. And now they have some of the big health systems from just outside of town starting to come in and build facilities there. What they're trying to do is they're trying to build a protective moat um, so, so that when those bigger names come in, they don't start losing all their patients to these bigger names. And then you've got other organizations where they're already in a very competitive area. And so they realize, hey, we can't win everything across the board, but what we can do is we can win with our heart services because we have an absolute advantage there. We, you know, our CEO has put a flag in the, in the ground and said, orthopedics is where we're putting our energy. When we think about the overall um, strategy, first of all, we want to start with what resources do we have and what, what goals are we trying to accomplish? And let's look there. And then we can get into some more of the details of looking at it and say, okay, let's say, for example, you know, we're trying to build a protective moat uh, around the service lines that we already have a strong market share in, um, you know, or we're trying to, to make a, establish a beachhead <clears throat> in, into a new service area where we're trying to grow our bariatric services. Um, whichever case that is, the first thing that you want to do is start looking at the data as it exists, right? It's like if you go to a dinner party, you don't just walk into a, to a discussion and just start suddenly, you know, saying things because you don't even know what the topic is. You don't know who's involved. Um, you don't know what the tone of the conversation is. What you want to do is come in and, and look at the data, look at the conversation that's been happening and start to parse that and say, you know, when people are talking about bariatrics in this area, what do they tend to be saying? Are they talking about front office staff? Are they talking about the physicians? Are they talking about the actual procedures? Are they talking about billing? What are they saying that's good um, that we need to make sure that we're, we're tapping into? What are they saying that's bad that maybe is an opportunity for us to show, to wow them from the competitors in this area? Um, and when they get upset, what are they talking about, right? So we can kind of figure out if these sorts of things happen to us, because you know, let's face it, bad comments happen to everybody. How are we going to deal with this? What can we say? What can't we say? We don't want to legitimize a, a, you know, something online by admitting that it was a problem uh, and, and causing potential legal issues. But at the same time, we want to make them feel like we're human and we're approachable. Having various scenario planning around that and saying, hey, this is a template. It, it always makes me shudder a little bit when I hear people talk about having libraries of responses because it just feels like a robot yeah. pushing things out. <laughs> but if you have something that says, hey, this is a template of what a good response looks like in these scenarios, then it gives you a guide. Then you can just be human and know the areas where you can and can't say things. So it's those sorts of things that I think you spend a lot of time doing to where a lot of times it ends up being 80% strategic planning and then 20% execution in a lot of those ways. Having that the templated responses, but having the ability to contextualize it for what the actual incident is, you do have to infuse sort of that human kind of element 
to every response, but you do need the framework of, of the type of responses that you can do. Yeah, absolutely. Especially as a marketing leader, because if you're a marketing leader, you have a team. And anytime you have a team, you have different people's thought processes and personalities and styles to deal with. And so you need to give them, you don't want to, to confine them to just say this, but you do want to give them a guidance so that it fits into your brand. Um, that fits into the the feel of what your organization, how how you interact, how you want to interact. By providing them that that template, you can you can control and scale that much more effectively. And then you know, in addition to that, you can also start thinking about this. Kind of goes back to a little bit of the planning side. Is thinking about okay, if we're trying to make a beachhead into again, I'll pick something out of arbitrarily, but you know, say our orthopedics. If we're going to pick out orthopedics and go after building a beachhead there, where do we need to have reviews? Let's look at our competitors. Where do they have good reviews? Where do they have bad reviews? Um, how can we strategically target and try to make sure that our presence looks good comparatively to the comp competition of that area? And the way that you do that, obviously, is by being proactive and making sure that you know where those reviews need to go and having a strategy and a process, a very important process of governance of being able to get those reviews into those sites. Review responses, or again, I, I want to avoid that word because you said it, it sounds very tactical, but but let's, let's, let's just embrace it for the strategic aspect of that. Responding to reviews is not just coming from your marketing suite. It's actually part of your organization, right? You have to align back in to your organization. So what are all the various different departments that can potentially be part of this review process? We've had a number of different organizations handle it in different ways. So for example, UC San Diego, they actually handle all of their online patient uh, reviews through their patient experience team, interestingly enough. Uh, the idea is that they're the ones who are dealing with patient experience. They're the ones who are handling a lot of the survey data that they might be doing through various survey vendors. You know, it makes sense to logically kind of pull that in. And the marketing team sort of advises them and helps them, but the patient experience team really doesn't. Another way of going about doing this is I know that uh, or some of our clients have actually gone through the process of engaging the actual service line teams. So they might have you know, a service line team that has attached marketing resources. And so they say, hey, we're going to have you guys do this. We're going to manage the overall uh, picture and we're going to pull you in so that whenever a review comes in, we're going to have a workflow that's going to flow that over to you. And you're going, you're going to deal with that separately. And all the, the corporate marketing team is doing is looking at the overall picture and guiding and finding trouble spots and opportunities for promotion and those sorts of things. Another way that I've seen this uh, is I've seen this be something where the marketing team is handling it, but then they have defined places, trigger points, if you will, where they say, when these sorts of things happen, we're going to escalate it, right? We're going to send this to the patient experience team. We're going to send this to the grievance committee. We're going to see, send this to the physician directly. We're going to send this to the administrator of the service line because maybe it's something that, hey, this one is particularly risky, right? So we're this one we think lead, might lead us to, to legal action. Maybe there's another one that goes to the legal department because we feel like it's libelous, it's it's you know completely unfair, it's not true. So we're going to reach out to the site based on their own site rules and see if we can get that one taken down. 
or maybe there's some that's like, hey, this is not one comment, but it's a series of comments that indicate something's happening. One really good example of this that I really love, and this one is actually a little bit um, near and dear to my heart because I have, you know, we work with several, um, we, wor we work with a lot of hospitals, but we also work with a lot of physicians directly through our private practice team and, and medical group team. So we see a lot of this where, you know, physician burnout occurs. And we actually had one client who was able to see as they started going through the process, they said, oh, wait a minute, this physician has had a significant drop in recent months of their patient experience. And this is a great doctor. If you look at their past performance, they're one of our top performing physicians, something must be going on. And so they were able to identify that trend and they looked into, you know, what was going on and they realized that, you know, her, her clinical load was too heavy. It was just unbalancing her life overall. And so they were able to adjust that and got her back on track. And today she's much happier. Reviews have gone way back up. She's back in their top performers. So it was a saved physician. It was a saved life. There's a lot of good, valuable data that you can you can report back to the organization through these online reviews. And oftentimes, patient experience teams, they may not consider online reviews as being a valid data point for their, their activities. If you look at organic, uh, organically generated reviews, then traditionally speaking, if you look at statistical validity, which is what a lot of kind of what you're talking to, it is not statistically valid. You know, but you have to think about the, the, the reasons why, right? So uh, when you're dealing with a set of CG caps surveys, for example, you have a system in place where you're intentionally asking patients to go through. And if you're, you know, funnel, if you, if you've got thousands of patients coming through your organization on a monthly basis, then yeah, of course you're going to have statistically valid data because you have a program in place to do that. The, the, the web organically is going to attract people who are ecstatic or really angry. Um, and that's going to be a, a very small subset. It was never designed to be the same sort of proactive system. There's two ways that I, I deal with clients when we talk about this. I was like, first of all, you should probably have a proactive system in place. The average public, when, you're, when, a, when a health system looks at it, they go, well, this is not statistically valid data. If you look at the consumer surveys that have been done, consumers don't care. Um, what they care about is, generally speaking, what you're looking at is people think that something is valid once you've gotten around somewhere around eight uh, reviews, right? So if you've got eight or nine reviews, consumers are looking at that and they're going, it might be eight or nine reviews in the last three years, right? So it's, it's still not statistically valid, but they're making care decisions based on it. So the very first thing that you want to do is just recognize reality. Like, let's not fight against this and put, you know, statistical validity up there as a, as a thing that, you know, anybody cares about but the organization. Consumers are making care decisions. So first of all, you should be making sure you've got a proactive plan in place to ensure that you do have accurate information, that you do have uh, statistically valid information out there. So when pa patients are making decisions, they're making it on good data because that's that's part of your responsibility to them. The second thing that I that I always talk about here is like even if let's say for example you're just you know whatever you don't have the resources you're just not inclined to do it you know whatever having this third party data 
it's kind of like cooking a stew, right? Your your survey data might be your meat and your stock, but the seasoning is the third-party sites because they're going to tell you things that you're probably not going to hear in your own surveys. They're going to be the people who, when they send them a survey, they're going to go, I'm not telling you anything, but I'm going to go tell the world everything. There is a lot of really good reason to incorporate this. Should it be the foundation of how you do performance analytics? Probably not. But should it be incorporated? Absolutely. Um, it can tell you a lot. In fact, it was a couple of years ago, uh, there was a study done where they found that uh, you know reviews on third-party sites actually correlated relatively closely with HCAP's performance down the line. It's something that can be really, really powerful if you just learn how to use it properly. Oftentimes, you know, people still look at these third-party reviews that are in, on Google, Yelp, or whatever, and they think about that as like, yeah, you know, okay, people are saying that, but really the HCAP scores are meaningful. Uh, I found a lot of times that if you can just really provide some meaningful insights into this data, it, it can really uh, bring forward an, a new way to, to look at this information or these reviews. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. I think, you know, a lot of times what it comes down to <clears throat> is it's kind of like, you know, if I go through, I, again, I'll go back to the dinner party analogy. If, if I go to a, to a dinner party and ask a bunch of people a yes, no questions and multiple choice questions, you know, I can probably learn a number of things. But where the true gold is, is in asking open-ended questions like comments and letting them just talk about whatever it is that's that's on their heart, whatever they want to talk about, because that'll tell me an awful lot about how they experienced uh, whatever I'm asking them about. And, you know, in the case of the, the third party sites or really even your own internal survey data, the comments are the gold. Um, and that's where you can really find that meaningful content, but it requires having a tool to be able to allow you, because I mean, I've, I've talked to a lot of organizations that what they do is they throw this stuff into um, Excel spreadsheets and they do keyword searches and they pivot on it. And, you know, there's really smart people who do really cool things with Excel, but let's be honest, that's not scalable. What you really have to have is something that has healthcare specific tools to be able to allow you to create performance analytics around this stuff. Because I'll give you a really good example. When we started building our analytics uh, solution, we found that a lot of the tools, that, and this is what a lot of analytics tools will use when they're using natural language processing, they'll use some of those standard libraries out there. But the challenge is, is when you do that, the things like, for example, the word tumor, right? If you're selling into a real estate world, um, let's say you're selling into real estate business or automobiles, you know, that kind of thing. The word tumor, there's no world in which a, a comment that uses the word tumor ends up being positive or neutral, right? That's just negative. Whereas if you're in the healthcare vertical specifically, the word tumor might be very neutral. It might be, hey, I had a tumor, doctor saved my life, diagnosed me correctly, kept me from you know dying. I mean, it could turn out to be a great thing. Those little nuances become really, really important to be able to, to it, pull out the kind of performance data, the kind of meaningful insights that really, really matter. Brigham and Women's uses the, um, the reputation data as part of their performance reviews with their physicians. Um, so it's, you know, it's a sliver of it, but that is actually part of their performance reviews is looking at their, their ratings and comments from patients and kind of saying, hey, here's the, here's the themes people are talking about. When they're talking about these themes, here are the things they're saying, the you know, positive or negative, et cetera. Um, and it just helps the physicians operate. And especially as we get into this new world where I was just reading a little bit earlier about some of the infrastructure that organizations like Amazon and Apple and Google and such have put into place 
that you know are truly they've already been disrupting care but as we get into a new world a new normal where people are maybe a little bit frightened of uh safety they're wor- you know they're worried about getting the elective surgeries uh but they want them a lot of these these disruptors uh, like i was mentioning are set up to really capture a lot of that business and hospitals need to have a way of responding to that we are now in a in a world where and i'll just jump to something you mentioned at the even at the top of the interview where digital is going to significantly drive people's perception of organizations how do you see things kind of adapting in this new normal that we're in we're in a moment where in fact i was reading something it was an article the other day it was uh where i think it was jefferson health their ceo <clears throat> had mentioned uh that this is healthcare's amazon moment we're in a place where Everybody has kind of come to this really stark reality of what's going on in the world, and they've had to sh- they've had to go home, they've had to move everything digitally, they've had to separate you know, from each other, they have to think in completely different ways, and so as they've done that, a lot of really interesting things have happened in our society. I mean, companies that thought, hey, working remotely is just completely asinine, you can't do it, like it's just not productive, they've had to figure out how to make it productive. Organizations who said, oh, well, telehealth, like it's a nice thing to do, maybe we'll do it at some point, like fills in a few gaps here and there. Suddenly, that's the only way that they can keep in contact with their patients, and they've had to figure out, you know, how to move this forward. And this just exacerbates, it just makes the consumer trend that was already happening just happen that much faster. Because now, you know, when when patients are thinking about it, like, wait a minute, <clears throat> you don't have a good online presence. I, like, I'm not I'm not leaving the house to go to you um, unless I know enough about you because it could be potentially life endangering. They're saying hey, you don't have a telehealth solution. You don't have one that's like I have to download just something to you know get this. Here, I can't just click and go. Right? It's just it's going to become a significant disadvantage to not have some of these digital strategies in place. What that ends up doing to the organization is it puts people who have been in marketing in almost a victim mentality where they've been told that, you know, everything is slow and that they, you know, don't, they, they're not going to get the same level of attention as clinical teams in healthcare. So, you know, kind of no sort of becomes the default answer. Uh, it's like, you know, the answer is no. Now, what's the question? Yeah. <laughs> what's going to end up happening here is, is that, you know, you're going to have a lot of people who are going to suddenly wake up and go, hey, we've, we've been saying no to everything that has been digital strategy and it's about to make us irrelevant. There's going to be a lot of turmoil, but I think in the end, it's going to end up making us a lot stronger. Um, You know, when 9-11 occurred, firefighters and policemen were the heroes, Um, still are um, to a lot. There's very positive sentiment around firefighters and and police officers because of what they did. And, you know, what the healthcare uh, world is doing right now is literally putting their lives on the line, saving us. And so, you know, the healthcare workers are going to become the new heroes. And I think what people are going to start to realize is, is their brand is made up of their people. And so online reputation is going to become, it literally is their brand. I love that. That really resonates with me a lot, Noel. I, I really like what you said there. And as we start to navigate through this more and more, your online reputation, what people are saying about you is going to become sort of that 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 deal breaker in many cases. Well, maybe not deal breaker, but it'll become your your ultimate differentiator. Noel, thank you so much for your time today. I think this is really informative. If people want to find out more about you and doctor.com, can you give them some uh, some ways that they could find out about you online? 
the easiest and best way for anybody to reach me is going to be on LinkedIn. Uh, you can obviously look me up, Noel Coleman. I'm right there. It's actually slash Noel Coleman. I'm not super active on Twitter. Um, so I, I would say LinkedIn is probably your best bet, or you can check us out at doctor.com, uh, the URL. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for your time today, Noel. I really appreciate all the information and I really appreciate uh, what you shared with us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It was great being here. All right. Thanks so much to Noel for coming on. Um, friend of the show, uh, obviously someone who's been around the space for a long time. When we went to conferences, used to see all the time. So yeah, uh, maybe we'll get back to that one of these days. But speaking of conferences, as you hear this, we're days, hours away <laughs> from the original virtual conference uh, that was already planned to be a, vis- uh, a virtual conference, as we've talked about, the uh, Shishmed Mayo Clinic collaboration around advanced social media, again, June 2nd and 3rd. And uh, Chris, you'll be speaking at that. I will be. Yeah, I'll be talking about the advancements of social media over the last decade that you and I have been in this. And by the way, one of the case studies I'm going to talk about is actually showing how an organization is embracing online reviews as a big part of their patient experience strategy. So uh, stay tuned to that. And I know that that conference has a wait list. It's a virtual conference and it has a wait list, but I definitely recommend for people to just sign up because I assume that Shishmed is going to be sharing links to all of the different uh, keynotes and presentations that are happening, even though you aren't able to attend it in real time. So we have a link for that in the show notes. Awesome. Well, uh, reviews before we, uh, before we wrap up today, uh, what do you, what do you have? Yeah, our own version of reviews, right? Our recommendations. I mean, our that recommendations. We're be doing. Sorry, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Re- not reviews, yeah. recommendations. <laughs> so I'm going to recommend actually a a television program that my wife and I have been binge watching. Uh, something that you do. It's a very much a. Uh, something that we've all been doing over the last couple of, of weeks, if we've had time, is we kind of lose ourselves. Um, the show that I'm reviewing or re- recommending is a, a BBC program called Killing Eve. I'm not. Third season, which is currently running on BBC America. But uh, it basically involves a woman, Sandra O, oh, an American actress, who is suddenly being pulled into MI6 to help track down an assassin Uh, Mm. and so it's kind of like a crime drama and the assassin happens to be a mid-20s woman who's going around and um you know unfortunately in a in very macabre way uh killing people throughout europe so it evolves into this uh relationship that this the tracker has with the assassin and it's really really dark but it's really, really good. And I, I'm telling you, it's one of those things where I'm so glad that there were multiple seasons already because you watch the end of one, you want to watch the next episode. So this is a show really made for binging. We're using Hulu to binge the first two seasons. And by the way, YouTube TV is showing all of the third season now too. So highly recommended. Killing Eve, great acting, great plot lines. Really, uh, really kind of dark, not for the children, but I'm telling you, it's definitely one I would recommend you watch. That's my recommendation. There you go. 
Mine is um, half serious. I, I don't know if I really recommend this or not, <laughs> but uh, it has come in handy. I will say that. I think it was, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, I recommended Google Photos as I was uh, uploading uh, photos I had on hard drives and thumb drives and stuff like that to get them in a place where we could see them. Grandparents could see them, you know, et cetera. And um, I am recommending uh, an old computer. And what I mean is I have an iMac. I have an iMac that's roughly 14 years old, maybe. Something to that effect. And it was literally the only way I could get anything off of a Firewire external hard drive. Firewire 800. You never know when you may need an old computer to serve some purpose that, quite honestly, the new stuff um, has left behind. I now have everything off of said FireWire hard drive, and so I don't know that I have a huge need for it anymore. This is kind of like <laughs> recommending a VCR. You know, you're going to come across old VHS tapes and uh, need some way to play them or get the information off. And so, um, yeah, there it is still in the box, put it back in the attic. You know, I'm going to have to maybe amend that and recommend a five and a quarter floppy drive too, right, Reed? That'd be good. Um, those would be a little tougher uh, or maybe a dot matrix printer or something like that. But, there you go. Um, <laughs> although those are still in hugely high demand. If you have one of those, you can sell it to most any doctor's office or title <laughs> company, I think. All right. Well, that sounds uh, like a lot of fun. Uh, everybody go dig out your old uh, stuff uh, today or this next weekend. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for telling a friend. Thanks for supporting Touchpoint. We certainly appreciate it. Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.